Vancouver for the ministries that they're about to do, for the, their safe return right now. And it's okay even to pray out loud. It's all right. But right now, let's take a few moments and just lift them up in the name of Jesus Christ. And also, those two students who are still willing to go if their paperwork arrives. Right now, let's spend some time in prayer. It's such a great opportunity to be able to go. Thank you for Matt and for Caleb and for all the leaders that are willing to take the time in this week. And Father, they're going to be ministering in your name. Lord, thank you so much for the for the YWAM team that's already set this whole thing up. The, the weather's going to be cold and rainy. We'll just have to deal with that, Father. Uh, we pray that you would empower every single student, Father. We pray that, that the documentation would come in very soon for those who are still willing to go. Father, thank you so much for this. We're looking forward in a couple of weeks. We have a great report of what you've done through them in the name of Jesus Christ, Father. Amen. Let's sing. We cry, holy, holy, holy. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. Is the Thanks, Precy. Appreciate that. All right. Well, we are still in our series. We have a couple of more weeks. Uh, next week, we'll be in this series. The following week is going to be given over to the youth department as they come back and just share a, a, a whole report. Next week, they're coming back Saturday night. I figured it probably wouldn't work Sunday morning to have them come up. They're probably going to be a little tired. So it'll be the next Sunday that they're going to give that report. Then the following Sunday after that is Palm Sunday, and we will be finishing up the book of Colossians, and then the next Sunday, of course, is Easter, where we will come together and celebrate and have a wonderful time celebrating, once again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, we do every Sunday, which is why we meet on Sundays, and not the biblical Sabbath, which is Friday night to Saturday night. The early church changed it to Sunday, Sunday morning, because it's the first day of the week, and that's the day that Jesus rose. And so every time we come together, we come together because Jesus Christ is alive and he rose on the first day of the week. And that's why traditionally we meet on Sundays. Isn't that interesting? You knew that anyway. We're in this series called, Who is this guy and why does he matter? This is all about the, the letter to the, to the church at Colossae, the, the Colossians. Once again, remember it was a little bitty town. Paul didn't, had never been there. With, to our knowledge, he never went there. He would go to a major town, then he would send out some of his disciples. One of them was named Epaphras, and Epaphras was going around in these little bitty towns. Some of them weren't so small, like Laodicea was a very big town, and Colossae was a little bitty town, okay? And they established a church, and then Epaphras comes back and talks about their love and everything else, but he also comes back and says that they're being bothered by some of the stuff that's going on in there, that there's some question, because while Jesus Christ ministered for about three years and his disciples got to know him even the disciples didn't quite figure out who this guy was okay it took a long time through the leading of the spirit and by the way jesus promised that if you ever look at the book of john the uh, the gospel of john jesus says when the spirit comes he will guide you into all truth 
In other words, all the things that we know about Jesus weren't even revealed at that time. The Spirit came later and began to explain, now this is who Jesus is and was and this is what he did. But there's a lot of controversy in the early church about who is Jesus. What was? Was he just a man? Was he? There's actually even Christologies, which is the study of Jesus Christ. One of them is called an ascending Christology. Aren't you impressed that I know this stuff? And it means that Jesus kind of starts as a human being and, and rises up to something greater. And the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of that based that way. It always starts with Jesus being born or Jesus as a human being. Then there's one called a descending theology, where Jesus starts as God and comes down. That's the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those are the people kind of struggle. Okay, who was Jesus? What was he really all about? And the other question is then, does it make any difference in my life? I mean, it makes a difference perhaps in my eternal life. But what about my everyday wake up, walk around the house, get in the car and drive to work life? Does Jesus make any difference there? Today, people still have the same questions. Who is this guy? And why does he matter? So we started chapter 1. Chapter 1 into a little bit of chapter 2 is all about who he is. And this is what we learned so far, a little bit of a review. He is my Savior, the eternal God, the Creator, my personal spiritual trainer, my Redeemer, my hope, my mission, and my message. In other words, he's it, okay? He is my Savior. He is not just my Savior. He is God. Figure that one out. But he is. That's just the way it works. The Trinity The creator, he pulled everything into place. That means that he created me and I have a purpose. I find my purpose in him. My personal spiritual trainer, which means he works personally with me. He doesn't just send me instructions to say, do this and be better. He says, I'm going to help you. I'll be right there with you and I will help you and encourage you to be better. He's my redeemer, which means he's not just simply savior, which he is, but he's a savior because he redeemed us through his own death, through his willing sacrifice, which we'll be talking about more as we get close to Easter. My hope, I put all my faith in him. Okay, the simple question, you die, you stand before God, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say anything other than, Jesus, you're wrong. Okay? So I'm going to give you the right answer right now. Okay, write it down. God says, why should I let you into heaven? You say, Jesus, that's the secret password, okay? Actually, what I would say to him is simply this. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. I've rebelled against you. I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I have no claim here. Except that your son died for me to pay for all of that. And I plead his name. And in his name. And my father will say, good answer. Come on in. Okay? That's how simple it is. He's our, my hope. He's my mission. In other words, he had a mission in life. I'm continuing that mission. His mission was to tell people about the greatness of God's kingdom right here, right now. Not future, not pie in the sky. Right here and right now, the kingdom of God has come here today. And there are blessings with that. Yes, it's an eternal blessing, but it's a blessing right here. And my mission is now his mission as well. Or his mission is now my mission. I'm just continuing that. And he's my message. What am I trying to preach? Well, I'm trying to preach Jesus. Jesus, I, Jesus, it's just that simple. Jesus, all right? That's who he is. And at the very heart of it, it was this, okay? He is the main thing, and the main thing is always keeping the main thing the main thing. That's what life is all about. Jesus is it. We could have said that, 
He's it. He's it. And everything we're trying to do is to keep it in the very center of everything we're trying to do. He's the main thing. That's who Jesus is. Now, last week we started to get practical because in every one of Paul's letters, remember, almost almost every letter, he starts with theology, This is, and then he says, okay, now, let's switch gears and I'll tell you why this theology is so important. Okay? It's usually something like... Uh, Therefore, or because of these things, or I have told you these things because. There's that twist in his letters. He usually starts with the theological, the, the theoretical, if you will, the theological, that, that stuff that almost makes your head hurt. And then he'll switch gears and say, okay, now, I told you that, so I can tell you this. And then he gets practical. We made that switch last week, and then we're going to stay right there because most of his letter is a practical letter. It's about the difference that Jesus Christ makes. Because Jesus is all of the things we just talked about. This is what is true. First of all, follow Jesus, not people. Remember that? We have a tendency to follow people. He says, follow Jesus, not people. Jesus is it. If Jesus is God, Jesus is it. Follow people. Follow follow Jesus, not people. Don't listen to the people. You listen to Jesus. Why did he write that? Remember this one? I told you about the Gnostics. Isn't that a great word? How many of you use the word Gnostic sometime this week? All the time. That's almost... Yes, Carson, why am I not surprised? Yeah. All it simply meant were there's, uh, there's a group of people who follow Paul around, and Gnostic just simply means knowledge. And these were the people who said, I have a secret knowledge. What Paul said was good. It was good. But it wasn't all that there is. I have a secret knowledge that I want to share with you. And if you don't follow this secret knowledge, boy, you'll either be a second-class Christian or you won't even be a Christian at all. That's what was going on. So Paul writes this first chapter all about how Jesus is supreme and he's it. And then he says, okay, if Jesus is it, why are you listening to these knuckleheads? These guys don't know what they're talking about. If they're talking about anything other than Jesus... Don't listen to them. We follow Jesus, not people. And then he says, and, and he's working in you. Let him finish your work because you know what? A lot of the times you can't even listen to yourself. Your own desires, your own nature will take you away. Don't listen to the people around you. Don't listen. You listen to Jesus and let him begin to change your nature. And especially, don't try to maintain your relationship with rules. Remember that? Because that's what they were all about. Okay. I see you accepted Jesus. That's really good. Now, let me give you this whole list of rules that you have to follow to stay a Christian. You don't eat this, and you don't drink this, and you don't touch that, and you do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. Because if you do these things, you're bad. And Paul writes and says, why are you following a bunch of man-made silly rules? They won't help you at all. They don't draw any closer to God. They don't even help you. Knock it off. That's worldly stuff. Jesus did give us a few rules. Not many. Go look them up in the Bible. Go see what Jesus had to say. Follow those. But if somebody comes to you and says, well, here's my secret rules, no, it won't work. Now, sometimes organizations have specific guidelines and rules to say, if you want to be part of our organization, this is what you have to do. Fine. That happens. But don't let anybody tell you that to be a, a real, in relationship with God, to be in, with Jesus Christ, to be saved, you have to follow all of these man-made rules or you're out. That's not true at all. Okay? So, ready to move on? Here we go. Let's move on. 
Paul says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. By the way, now we're getting into your sermon. I just saw a few of you looking. These were review. Don't panic. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on... Okay. Since then. What does that mean? It means what I just told you, based on what I just told you, now I'm telling you something else. Paul does this a lot. These letters actually make sense. There's, there's a whole thought process in them. That's why you can't just take these liter- letters and pull out a verse here and there. It doesn't work like that. He didn't write them that way. He just said, because of everything I just told you about Jesus and about who he is and about not following rules, about not listening to people, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these... The wrath of God is coming. Used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, based on what I just told you, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Bear with each other and forgive. Well, you know what? I have that down here twice. Sorry about that. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Are you seeing the difference in the old life and the new life that he's talking about here? I mean, it's, it's amazing. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he's the main thing, and the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. All in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <laughs> just the centrality of Jesus Christ, the focus that we have on Jesus, that's what he's trying to get across in this book. Jesus is everything. So now, what does he mean? Okay. Based on what he's just said, based on who Jesus is, based on the fact that he's the main thing, based on the fact that, that we don't listen to people around us. We don't even listen to our own nature and we allow Jesus to to change us. Based on all of that stuff, this is what he says to do. Ready? This is what I'm going to do. Because he is the main thing 
and I listen to him above all others. This is what I am going to do. I will focus on what is ultimately important. Okay? If Jesus is it, he's what I focus, and what's important to him is what's important to me, I begin to focus what is, this is the way Paul put it, let me read it for you one more time, the Bible puts it like this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and let me tell you that much of our struggles stem from the fact that we put too much value on things right We begin to accumulate things. I remember when we first moved from, uh, from college, when we went back to NNC, now called NNU, and um, we moved from the, from the dorms to the parsonage at Deer Flat, where we were starting as associate pastor. Everything we owned, everything we owned, fit in the back of one pickup truck, and we borrowed the pickup truck. We had an old Chevrolet Chevette, four-speed, no air-conditioning AM radio. That was our only car. And everything else fit in the back of one pickup truck. I have so much junk now. So much, some of us have so much junk that we actually have to rent spaces to store our junk. It's, it's amazing how we accumulate things. And you know what happens is as we accumulate those things, what happens is they become very, very important to us. And sometimes they become so important they begin to shift our focus. It is so easy to put everything that you have in Jesus Christ when he's all you got. But the more we get, the more we want to protect. The more we want to protect, the more important those things begin. And suddenly, our focus begins to shift a little bit more to here. I had the privilege, as you well know, of spending a month over in a third world country, Malawi. And those people were so joyous in their in their worship, and uh, free in their offerings, even though their offerings were, um, I think one time I was, I was there, they received a, an offering of 3,000 kwacha, which is about nine bucks. And they were so excited in that church, they had had an offering that big. There's 200 people in the church, by the way. They have nothing. Their homes are made out of mud, literally. They go in the backyard, they take the mud, they turn it into bricks, they fire the bricks, build their houses, and most of them just have thatch. That's about it. It's all half. They're really excited when they get a a metal hole, you know, the there's no there's no handle on it. They have to go find a stick to put and then that's what they use by hand to till their fields so that they can grow the food that they need to eat. They have nothing. You know what's interesting about that is because they have so little to lose, it seems almost like their, their connection with God and their, their joy in worship was far freer. Because what else did they have? A little house made out of mud? A stick with a metal thing on the end of it? And they had Jesus. And boy, did they celebrate Jesus. We have so much. Sometimes, sometimes we let that get to us. I remember hearing a speaker talk about uh, two, uh, about a church It was a pac- you know, pacifistic church. One of those that says, you know, we don't like the Quakers. We don't believe in armies and we don't believe in 
And what happened was as people got older in that church, they began to turn away from their passivism a little bit more. And he was describing kind of a, a discussion between a very young man in the church and an older man at one of their conferences where they were talking about maybe we should get rid of this pacifistic idea. Maybe we should join the army. And the old man stood up and said, we have so much to protect. We need to begin to be part of the army to protect it. And the young man would stand up and say, I got nothing. I don't have anything. And the old man would say, but don't you realize that, that if they came, they would take everything you had? And the young man said, I got nothing. They can take it all. See what happened? One had spent his whole life accumulating things. And now he needed to protect those things. And it began to change his entire theological point of view. Whether you agree with pacifism or not. That's what happens when we... And it doesn't have to be things. It could be prestige or standing or acceptance or love. Friendship. A mate. that becomes more important to us than Jesus. And then suddenly we change our value system to be able to gain those things. This is what David wrote. Keep me safe. O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Let's think about that for a second. This guy is king. And you know what they say? It's good to be the king, right? And he said, I got nothing here. David, you've got it all. You've got the palaces and the women and the money. And you got... And David said, I got nothing. See, apart from you, Lord, I don't have anything. Wow. It's something for someone in Malawi to say that. It's something else for the king of all Israel to say that. And we need to be able to say it too. There's actually another psalmist, um, Psalm 73. Now, let me set the, the, the stage here. The Psalm 73 starts with the, the psalmist saying, Oh, God, you're wonderful and we love you. But then he says this, But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, what he goes on and on and on about then is he says, Now, here I am. I'm keeping myself pure and, and I'm keeping myself holy. And I look at all these evil people and they have so much more than me. They've got stuff that I would love to get. This isn't fair. They also seem to be healthier. It's like they're never sick. Everything seems to go their way. What's going on here, Lord? And he begins to get really ticked off until he says this. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Suddenly... When he took his eyes off of all of this and he put his eyes right up there, he went, oh, yeah, I've got God. They don't. They're going to face a completely different destiny than I will. Yeah, they've got, they've got it better now. But for all eternity, they won't. Hmm. And then he says this. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. Now, that is a wonderful, wonderful bumper sticker. But I can't tell you it's true for me. I can't say that there's nothing on earth I desire but God. I desire lots of stuff here on earth besides God. 
But what my entire life is learning to do is to make him more and more and more the center and the focus of everything. Oh, I still have my desires. But I'm learning to make him the very center. Paul put it this way in another letter. He talked about all the good stuff that he had. And there was a time before Paul became a Christian that physically eh, he was better off. And probably materially, he was much better off. He was an up-and-coming young Pharisee. This guy was, you know, the, 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 the name. He was the one that everybody looked at and said, Boy, keep your eye on this, on this Saul of Tarsus because he's going places. And then he met Jesus Christ. And he went places he never even dreamed of. And he lost everything that he once had. The prestige and the place and the honor and even his health. And eventually his head. But this is what he said. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, which is not the word. We've talked about that before. Dung is a very more polite word for it. And there are, the Bible doesn't use a polite word for it, okay? We just clean up the Bible for God because he's, we're afraid he might offend you. But that's not the word. A better word would be crap. And I'll let your minds take it from there, okay? That I may gain Christ. All that stuff I used to have, it just doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it's okay to have it. But it doesn't have the same value. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to make sure that, that I change my entire focus and I focus in on what is ultimately important. Then he says this, okay, the next thing that I do because of who Jesus is and he's the main thing and I'm going to make him the center of my life, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to reject, I love this phraseology, I think you'll be impressed, the dysfunctional coping skills I learned growing up. There's that, uh, there's that psychology background going in there, Pastor, huh? I reject the dysfunctional, do you understand what we mean by dysfunctional? Well, you will before we're done, hopefully. What dysfunctional coping skills, these are the little tricks of the trade we learned growing up to be able to deal with life and to get our own way. We learned them. Whether we were taught them or we just invented new ones is up to you. I have no idea. I just know that we all did it and continue to kind of carry them. For instance, how about this? The things that I used to fill the emptiness inside. Now that's a, what we call a dysfunctional coping skill. See, all of us are born with that kind of place for God. St. Augustine put it this way, Our hearts are restless till we find rest in you, O Lord. There's something in us that, there's holes. And those holes are placed because, first of all, we're born with a broken nature. Sometimes those holes are placed in there because of the people around us. Sometimes our parents, bless their little hearts, kind of put holes in us through the way that they treat us. That's okay, all the holes that my parents put in me, I turned around and gave them to my children. Okay, it's kind of a family heirloom. We passed them off. And to claim that we didn't is silliness. Okay, we were not perfect parents. We said things we shouldn't have said. We lost it when we shouldn't have. We created little bitty holes. Now, how do you fill that? How do you fill those holes? Those are the things that break us. And destroy our lives. Paul put it this way. Remember, let me just remind you. He said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the sexual immorality, 
People use that to fill the holes. The impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Things like this are what we use to fill the holes. That, that, that man who's driven and he just needs to, to, to get more and more and he's so greedy. He's trying to fill a hole that's in his life. And he's filling it with money. That's what's going on. I have to reject that kind of stuff. All of our addictions are simply coping skills to try to fill that void. It's one of the things that we, that we love about Celebrate Recovery and other ministries is they, they try to teach us, look... You're, you're using these things, but what you're really looking for is God. See, that's, that's the only one. He's the only one who's going to be able to fill that hole. But instead of going to him, you're going to drugs and alcohol and sex and these other things, trying to fill it. And it isn't working, is it? It's because nobody can fill it except God. Learn to fill it with the Lord. It's just that simple. The Bible says this, Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what doesn't satisfy. Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. To every single one of us who is struggling with some sort of addiction. Be it a food addiction or a money addiction or a pornography addiction or whatever addiction you've got. Remember why you have that addiction. You're trying to fill a hole. You're buying bread that isn't good bread. You're spending money on stuff that won't really satisfy. God is the only one. You want to really recover from your addiction? Well, you've got to fill that hole with God. Which means you're going to have to have a lot of support to do it. Then he talks about another set of dysfunctional coping skills. And he calls them this. Or we're going to call them this. The tricks that I used to use to get my own way. And the first one was, of course, the, the things that I used to fill the emptiness. Now... There are the tricks that I use to get my own way, okay? <laughs> when we were little, we used to use so many tricks. Uh, particular, our favorite one in our, in our uh, uh, quiver, so to speak, our repertoire, was uh, the temper tantrum. Remember that? Lay down and kick your feet. No, no, I want it, I want it, I want it. Okay, sure. We've either done that or we've, yeah, we've done that. We've done that. <clears throat> Have you ever heard the saying, you know, as, as boys grow into men, their, their toys just get more expensive. They really don't change that much. They still have toys, right? Well, guess what? As kids grow into adults, our tricks get more sophisticated. But they're still there. All the things we use to get our way. Because, of course, we're still it, see? The main thing is Jesus, but what happens in our lives is while we're learning to make him the main thing, sometimes we become the main thing. And when we become the main thing, then the whole thing is to keep you keeping the main thing, which is me, the main thing. So how can I manipulate you to get what I want? Because I'm the main thing. And your job is to keep the main thing your main thing. That's why Paul writes this. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. You ever used anger to get your way? It's an adult temper tantrum. But we do it. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Lying. All designed to get what we want. That's 
what's going on here. And Paul says, get rid of that. That's a dysfunctional coping skill. Okay, you, you don't use those anymore. He puts it this way in another place. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And you begin to see this whole shift that he's talking about. First of all, there's that shift that says, we're going to take our minds off all the earthly things here that we think are important and move it there. Now we're going to take that shift also and take it off from ourselves because we're not the main thing. And we begin to focus a little bit more on other people. When I speak, it isn't to get my own way. It's to build you up. He says you change the whole way you live. He also says this, because Jesus is my main thing. We've already talked about a couple of things. Because he's my main thing, I'm going to change my focus away from here to there. Because he's my main thing, I'm going to stop using those dysfunctional coping skills that I use to get my own way. The, the things I use to fill the emptiness, I'm going to fill it with God. The things I use to get my own way, I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to see and treat people, the people around me, in a whole new Paul writes about it in one single sentence. While you're copying this down, I'll, I'll remind you what it was. And then explain. Here, meaning in Jesus, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Their society... Um, had so many layers and strata. Who's important, who's not? But doesn't our society have the same thing? Who's important and who's not? Don't we put more importance on people who, who are pretty? I wouldn't know, believe me. So, Who are gorgeous? Don't we put more importance on people who are rich and successful? Don't we look down sometimes on the poor and say to ourselves, well, they deserve it because after all, America is a land of opportunity and if they would just take hold of those opportunities, they would be rich. Some of us look down because of skin color. Because people are from a different country, different culture, or speak a different language. There's lots of different reasons why, why we would say, you know, I'm better, or this person is better. We have a tendency to do that. And Paul says, you want to know something? When you're in Jesus Christ, none of that matters. Jew and Greek. I mean, those were so different back then. And he says, no, they're not in the church. There's no difference. You're just people. Slave and free. No, in the church, it's this way. There is no strata. We have to begin to look at the people around us and and to realize that we're all the same. I see everybody now in a brand new way. And and because I see them in that new way, even that immigrant who probably doesn't have their documentation are the same in Jesus Christ. And I will treat them with the same dignity, care, and love as I treat a U.S. citizen. Now, I may have my opinions about what they need to do and to get their documentation, and maybe I even have my own opinions about how I can help them get that documentation. But guess what? They're no better or worse than anybody sitting right here. And we will treat them with the same dignity, honor, care, 
and love is those individuals who were born right here in the good old U.S. of A. Now, did I just step on some toes or did I just get into trouble with a few of you? Personally, I don't care, okay? I'm, I'm asking the question just kind of rhetorical. Because the word is the word. And if you don't like it, take it up with him. He wrote it. I don't use people around me to, um, to get what I want. I, I, also, I'm going to see them. Look, remember this? This is what he wrote. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other grievances, whatever may have one have against one another. In other words, because I see people differently, now I'm going to treat them differently. I, I see them as all the same. So I'm going to treat you all the same. I don't use them to get what I want any longer. And he sums it up this way. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Okay? We stop seeing the people around us, anything except other people around us, who are just like us who have the same dreams and aspirations and we will treat them with that love and dignity and honor because they are created in the image of God just as we are. (laughs) Paul put it this way actually in in another letter to the Corinthians. So from now on we regard no man from a worldly point of view. Stop right there. I need you to read that sentence with me, okay? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, you're saying it, but I wonder if, if we really have us. Let's do this one more time, okay? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Stop. What does he mean, a worldly point of view? What he means is our world takes people and they put them in columns and puts them in stratas and puts them in, and, and says, okay, this is bad, this person's good, this is what... Stop it! That's the worldly point of view. You know who we are? Sinners. Everybody's a sinner. Put your hand up. Okay, don't do that. Because somebody might not have put their hand up, and then I have to call you out. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Okay. And there's no difference. There's no, but my sin, my sin's better than your sin. Nothing like that. Okay, guys? We're sinners. We're in Jesus Christ because of one thing. It's the cross of Jesus Christ because of what he did right there. That's it. And after that, there's only sinners saved by grace. That's it. But we once regarded Christ this way. In other words, we used to look at Christ through the worldly eyes going, who is this guy? Now we're getting a better picture, aren't we? Therefore, and read this with me, ready? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you want to know who we are as a church, that's a great verse to remember. You are welcome here. I don't care what you've done. I don't care whether you got your papers or not. I don't care whether you're learning or not. You're welcome here. In Jesus Christ, we're the same. 
And when someone receives Jesus, everything becomes new. So what is this all about as we wrap this up this morning? What are we doing? Okay, here it is. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the focus of my life from me, myself, and I to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I've got a whole sermon series coming up this summer called, um, I Think That I Shall Never See Anyone Greater Than Me, Me, Me. Okay, we'll talk about that more as we get closer to it. It's all about the book of Judges. I think it's going to be a really great time. But see, that's what he's talking about here. Because Jesus is God, he is it, he's the main thing. And because we stop listening to the people around us, and we even start listening to our own nature because it's kind of a broken thing, this is what we do about that. First of all, we're going to change our focus. We're going to remember what's really important, all the things that Jesus gives us, all the things that he does for us. And I'm going to consciously stop using all those things that I learned to get my own way and to fill my own life. I'm going to look at all the people around me differently now because we're all in Jesus Christ and we are all the same. And I'm going to change my focus from me, myself, and I to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is the practical side of what it means to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We... <laughs> we need the reminders because this is sometimes very hard for us. We, there's just part of our nature that wants us to be the main thing, and we give into that often. Jesus, you're, you're it. Because of who you are and what you've done, it changes how we see the world. It changes how we see things. It changes how we see the people. It changes how we see ourselves. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. Jesus, thank you for allowing us this privilege of knowing you and of being changed and of being brand new. Now, Jesus, help us as we just take a little time to think about maybe some of the ways we've thought of people or said about or said to people, and maybe it's time to change a little bit more from me, myself, and I to who you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Gene, would you come forward and lead us in our sailor time, please?